Hi, welcome to the Happiness Hive podcast. I'm Catherine Bowyer and I am completely fascinated by people and what motivates them. I've spent the past three and a half decades specialising in mindset and human behaviour and I've helped thousands of people to create happy and amazing lives. And now I am super excited to be chatting with women from around the world who I have secret and to be honest, not so secret crushes on. They're women who inspire me. I'm intrigued as to how they do life and what makes them tick. I want to find out their magic formula that makes them who they are. And at the end of the episode, I'd love for you to say, I'd like a little bit of what she's having. The conversations are real and raw. They're full of passion, inspiration and lots of fun. And nothing is off limits. So grab yourself a cuppa or pop on your trackie and go for a walk and join us for today's chat. There may just be that pearl of wisdom you need to hear. So let's shimmy on over and get started. I think I start every podcast chat the same, but I'm so excited to talk with the day's guest and today is absolutely no different. And I've got a feeling that this one could go on a little bit longer because there's so much to cover. I met today's guest, Simone Finch, at a business event that I was presenting at a little while ago, and we just instantly clicked. Simone has such an interesting story, and there are so many facets that I want to dive into today. Simone is a fashion historian and an ethical stylist with a deep-rooted passion for all things vintage, especially the fashion from the 1930s to the 50s. She was raised in a conservative family and faced opposition to pursuing her dream of becoming a fashion designer. Despite the challenges, she worked hard throughout her career, starting out as a secretary to becoming a successful CEO. However, earlier this year, her life took a bit of an unexpected turn, leading her to embark on a journey of healing, rediscovering her joy and reconnecting with her love of fashion. Today, she is the creative force behind My Victory Vintage, a fashion brand that ingeniously combines modern styles with upcycled fabrics, giving them a delightful vintage twist. She lives in rural New South Wales with her two cats and revels in the charm of the 1940s, adorning herself with vintage-inspired outfits, and she's determined to master the art of the victory role, which I'm absolutely excited to find out about that. And I can't wait to talk with Simone about all these things, plus so much more. Welcome, Simone. How are you? Thank you so well. I'm I'm great. Really good. There's so much that I want to ask you, but I thought what we would do is we would go back to growing up and what that was Mm -hmm. like for you. So as I mentioned, it was a conservative upbringing for you. Tell us about what was that like growing up? Where did you grow up, number one? Well, in the Blue Mountains mainly. I was born in Sydney, in Crown Street, actually. Back then there was a Catholic women's hospital, so I was born there in the 60s. But most of my life was spent in the Blue Mountains on a small farm. And, you know, look, I was very privileged. We had my, you know, my parents were together until my dad died. I have a a younger sister who's an extraordinary woman as well. And, you know, I had went to good schools, had a, I was always fed, I wasn't abused, but just a very conservative sort of restricted space which for someone who's a creative I think probably just was you know an interesting pick really <laughs> a little bit limiting uh, for you to express yeah very yeah. much and and you know it is what it is I I have a great deal of fortune because I was educated I can read all of those things which has allowed me to make choices but 
certainly my family didn't didn't share my interest in and, and expression of fashion and 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 history. It was sort of seen as some silly phase, and uh, and it's interesting because at 55 I'm still dressing this way, so clearly it's not a phase. It's not a phase. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yes. It's not a phase. I laugh. <laughs> so when did that start? Did you, your your interest for fashion start way back then? As a young child. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, look, and I, I, I look back and I, I can't ever remember a time of not being interested in clothing and fabric and sewing. I'm very tall, so yeah. I was six foot one at 15. And of course, in the 80s, there wasn't a lot of clothing stores that I could mm. shop in. And, but I've always, I've always loved being a bit different and just expressing yourself differently. I'm, I'm not good at following rules. I'll follow rules. <laughs> driving at the speed limit and paying my tax but from a broader perspective I question things because you know I remember I was always mad about fashion magazines and back in the 80s there was this great sort of tabloid size magazine called Mode and I used to you know harangue the news agent until it was in and there was always this you know navy blue is the new black or this is the new bag and and I could never understand I mean navy blue is navy blue it's not the new black it's navy blue so for me it was I was always interested in how we express ourselves my father's father, so my father's family were English, and my father's, my grandfather was in the English army during the war, and he was that very English, that working class, but very proper English gentleman. He and I were very close, and he didn't talk much about his war service, mainly because he was restricted by the Secrets Act, because of the work he had done, but we would just watch these old movies together and they were always those sort of 30s and 40s movies and the style was just extraordinary and it was beautiful. And I just, I used to, he had this chair and I would sit on the floor with a sketchbook and I would draw, you know, fashion drawings and sketch the outfits and, and do my sort of, you know, take on them. And Granddad would always be, you know, you're so clever and you should do this and there was always pencils and colours and, and, and sketchbooks and it just was a thing and it's just stayed with me and I love it. Oh my gosh, I just get goosebumps with yeah. you saying that, that your granddad, you know, just those memories of being yeah. really fond memories mm. and also just being inspired by the fashion and then the creativity to sort of put it into your way. Mm. I know why we've connected. Like when you say you're not a rule follower, but mm. you are, I'm same. Like there are some really weird rules that I will follow and be really compliant with. Not weird rules. They're, they're certainly sensible rules, but there's other stuff that it's just like, don't dare tell me what to do. Like don't, don't limit me. Don't put me in a box. And that sounds like that was you from a young age as well. Were you as being willful? Were you, parents see you as willful? Yeah, absolutely. And interestingly, I remember in year 11, making my debut because, you know, it was the thing yeah, you did. Yeah, um, and I remember standing, we'd been to mass and standing outside with my debut partner and I was standing next to him and there was a group of people and he told this terrible racist joke and I was mortified. It was yeah, just terrible. Yeah. This was 1984. And I just stood there and I was furious. Oh, I was mortified. Yeah. And of course everyone laughed except me. And later on, my, I was saying in my in the car on the way home, I said to my mother something about it, and she said, "Just laugh at his jokes, Simon. Men like that." And I remember feeling like my brain was going to explode. That we had been to mass, and the, in the because the 80s Catholic mm. Church was all mm. about love and forgiveness mm. and yeah. diversity, well, diversity in their rules. Yeah. 
And there was this boy that I was supposed to be going to dance classes with telling this terrible joke Mm. and me being forced to laugh at him because that's what he would like, even though this joke fell in the face of everything I thought my family believed and what I was being taught at church. And so it was this moment, and that I remember that distinctly and being that, that willfulness, that, that not going to follow the rules. Mm. And I remember my parents saying, no, no, you must do this because that is attractive. I was telling someone today that I was, have a stigmatism in one of my eyes, which is why I wear glasses, but my parents felt that I wouldn't be attractive if I wore glasses. So they just wouldn't. Oh no. <laughs> See the school class, the board at school, and I couldn't read books properly because the the you know a stigma doesn't mean the, the words look like they're moving. But it was more important that I was attractive than intelligent. And luckily, I'm my IQ is quite high, so I was able to get through classes. But you think I just that that dissonance to me is just bizarre. It's just oh my gosh, that's really interesting, isn't it? About and how's that played out in life? about maybe that conditioning of needing, you know, appearance and looking important versus intelligence. Has that played out in your life? Like what's I think so to some extent. I think I think for a long time I try I tried to follow the rules. I did the suits. And so what I would do is do the do the sort of the way the rules are during the week and then on the weekends I'd be in vintage shops or I'd be, you know, wearing what I want to wear. So I had these two Simons. And I think also to some extent I made I tried to make myself smaller to meet the sort of you know, to try and have a boyfriend or a husband or whatever it was. What's really interesting is what that did do was that I then ate too much and so I ended up getting really fat. Oh my god. And, same. Same. And, and so and so I almost it almost was this thing where I could hide myself from everyone else because, you know, big women are often invisible in our community, which is yeah. hilarious. When you're six foot one and thirty five kilos overweight, you're not small and people mm-hmm. can see you, but you're invisible. And so about probably Ten years ago, I just thought, you know what, screw this. And and there was a whole bunch of things happening for me, and I just went, I'm just going to do this. And if people don't like me because I wear victory rolls and a vintage dress, well, then I just don't care. Because there's this lovely saying that what other people's opinions of you are none of your business. And I just – and I look at women I admire like Maggie Smith or, you know, Hillary Clinton, and they just do their thing, and I think, I'm just, I'm just going to do that and just see what happens. And it, it does have some ramifications, mm-hmm. and but you know what, I'm okay with that. Oh my gosh, I reckon we could end the podcast now that we're not, but <laughs> that in itself, that message about just do you and not be worried about what people think. Cause you can see that from your, you mm. know, your patterning and there'd be a whole lot of other stuff, I guess, in life. My version of that was it was not okay to express my opinions and my views, you know, listen to your elders and don't speak unless you've spoken and then that had the sort of ramification that it wasn't okay to express what I thought about things so I really held myself back in what I was thinking it's not okay to say what I'm thinking and there was one I think I've shared it before can't remember where I've shared it but there was one guy that when I was doing some training in my career that told me that I was a big woman I was intimidating a big personality yeah, and that I just needed to make myself smaller. And I've always had this, you know, up-down relationship with weight. And and so when you're saying that as well about putting on weight to be invisible, it's kind of a really weird 
way, isn't it? But it's kind of a protection. It's interesting. I, I wear heels and at six foot one, I'm already taller than pretty much everyone in the room, but I still wear heels. And it's interesting. Last year I was at, when I first started my last role as a CEO and I was standing in the main part of the hospital and this doctor came over. And of course, during COVID in a hospital, you're not supposed to stand close. And he stood really close to me. And it was for him, he was trying to intimidate me. And he looked me up and down and he said, I think you're a bit tall to wear heels. And I said, and I, you're wearing Crocs, so I, I'm not going to take fashion advice from you. Needless to say, we didn't have a good relationship. But um, <laughs> it, was, it was that moment of going, there's this ownership of women's bodies and our images that the world still thinks it has. And I think if I want to wear heels, I'll wear heels. Although these days working at home, I can't walk in them anymore. I spend my life in flats. But, but I still Actually, I had that the other day. I had that the other day. Like I, I wear runners now, but I went somewhere. And I had my my shoes on. They're still pretty flat, but they were my corporate shoes when I was training. Yeah. Um, I couldn't wear them. It just pressed on the hip, on the ball of my foot and really, really hurt. And it was just like, oh, my God, after a couple of years of not. We've yeah. become women in sensible shoes. I know. I don't know when that happened. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? People, perceptions and the audacity that somebody would tell you how you should show up in life, like that just really grates my my. Oh, whatever I, I, it grates yeah. yeah I just don't ever tell me how I should do stuff and I never even like I'm a coach I never tell people what they should do I will provide thoughts opinions and it's up to them what they do I would never ever tell somebody what to do well me either and as a stylist my view yeah. is not I'm not going to walk in very differently to many of my colleagues I don't walk in and go you have to wear this colour because you're an autumn or you have to wear this because you're 50 or you have to wear this because you're pregnant. What I go is let's find your inner quirk, work yeah. out what that looks like. And if you want to wear black all the time, well, then wear black all the time if that's the thing that where you're at. If you want to wear well, – I don't care what you wear. What I'm going to do is show you how to feel really – help you find your gorgeousness and, and bring that out in you that you're comfortable with it. But people do – it's interesting as a stylist and as someone who dresses vintage all of the time how – that attracts attention in our broader society. 90% of people, 95% of people will come over and go, oh, my heavens, you look amazing. Can I talk to you about your hat? Why do you wear brooches? People will, you know, say often I'll be somewhere and people say, I saw you last week and you had this hat on. There's this little cafe I go to and every time I go in, the young waiter says to me, oh, I've waited for you. What's your brooch today? And and, she, and I'll talk to her about my brooch. And she's a lovely young woman. The other percent will go, oh, you know, are you in a play? Why would you dress like that? I went to buy some wine the other night and in the bottle shop, there was these two people in pyjamas and slippers in a public space. I had been to a vintage event, so I had a hat on and I had gloves on. And this woman looked me up and down and said, oh, why would you dress like that? And I thought, honey, you're in pyjamas in Dan Murphy's. I'm not even going to have this conversation. And I just smiled and I said, it's the way my wardrobe is and kept walking. And I just thought, you know what? I have no words for someone who, but what I think is interesting is this belief that there's a right to tell someone to control themselves. For me, I have a view that when I see a woman, and that's really how we met, because when Mm -hmm. I see a woman who looks fabulous, my view is it's my responsibility to go and tell her how fabulous she looks because sometimes you might be having a crappy day and someone walking up and going, that jacket's amazing, your lipstick's gorgeous, whatever that is, just connects you back to the world. And so, and I think women are particularly 
trained to be cruel to each other. If you yeah. look at women's magazines, it's all about whether Paul Megan and Catherine are fighting with each other, not these are two girls who happen to be sisters-in-law and married to some prince yeah. or, you know, soon to be king. And so what we, I think it's our responsibility to just tell other women how gorgeous they are and how amazing they look. But for the most part, that's exactly what happens. And older men come and talk to me and I love that and never creepy, but they'll come over and say, oh, my mum used to wear her hair like that or my wife had a hat like that or it's lovely to see a lady in gloves or whatever that might be and they'll hold the door and, and you know, those sorts of events and it's just divine. I love it. I have so oh. much connection just, just through dressing a particular way. It's just yeah. my life. So mm. why the 30s through to the 50s, why the vintage like, is that, that through that memory of grandpa and watching movies and having... Originally it was, but the thing I love most about that period, if you, from a historical perspective, so the 30s, if we look, it was just coming out of at the effects of World War One, which was a terrible, terrible, terrible war. The Spanish flu, which, of course, having all been through COVID, mm-hmm. we know exactly what they were going through, without the benefit of television, Facebook connection, et cetera, and without the benefit of modern medicine. There was all sorts of social issues in the world. Women at that time were coming through, you know, we all know about the sort of flapper ideal. It's it's broader than what we see in the sort of Great Gatsby movie, but there's a whole sort of early feminist sort of view of how women were starting to reinvent ourselves, become sexual liberation was happening, et cetera. But the clothing reflects that. And then going through into sort of 39 as the Second World War started, there's this real sense of style that is about strength. So dresses had pockets. There was a real sort of strength in the shoulders. Things were handmade and they were they were cared for beautifully because there wasn't enough. So not so much in Australia, but certainly in the UK and that sort of region, there were fabric shortages. So women were encouraged to make do and mend and, and do things with what they already had. So the fashion reflected that. And I just think it's really beautiful. And I love the idea that... I've got many pieces in my wardrobe. I've got handbags that are 80 and 90 years yeah. old and I take them to work. You know, it's, it's, I love that there's this narrative and this story that connects to that handbag and it's not just thrown away when it has no use. And for me, our contemporary society that just throws stuff away, whether it's a t-shirt or whether it's a relationship or whether it's a job or whatever that looks like, it's just, this doesn't resonate with me. I I want stuff that I have all all my life. I want stuff that's old. I want I love second hand, and so that style from that period and it suits women's bodies. You don't have to be a stick creature to wear it. Now, true vintage, of course, is very small because women were smaller. And I do some work in a true vintage shop, and they're tiny. That you know, my my maternal grandmother was five foot. I'm six foot one. So the world is different, but the style is still beautiful you don't need to be skinny you can have boobs and hips and you can you can be bigger you can be expecting you can be older there's not this sort of look that then you know you know on Facebook when I turned 50 on Facebook suddenly it was oh now you're 50 you've got to do all these things I was like no no Mm. I'm going to be older now like don't tell me yeah Um, and so for me I I could wear a dress that a 25 year old could wear in that in that period yeah now I'd probably style it differently but you could still do it and I like that that sort of quirkiness to it. So, mm. Do you know what I can hear? There is so much meaning yeah, around. It's not just the look, even yeah. though that's part of it, but there's so much meaning around that period. That totally. You, yeah. That, that, and this fashion generally has symbolism. We all know yeah. that. Everyone will recognise a tartan. And we know that, you know, the, the Highlanders don't speak to the 
the lowlanders and there's all this tartan argument and you know which tartan you wear when there's we are tribal creatures but you know we, we talked earlier about our the victory roll so that i have my hair in victory rolls today and so, so those of you that are so this is podcast people will hear it but you can pop over to youtube and you can see the video yeah. and that you'll see so the victory roll is the hair where you've rolled it roll you roll it back in on itself and the roll yeah. is a closed roll but what they will so i have three in today i generally wear three because I, yeah. I like odd numbers but what they were was to indicate your support of the raf pilots so the raf pilots would fly from england across or australia across to say for example if they were going into france or germany and on the way back, if it had been a successful mission, they would roll the plane. So they would fly the plane and they'd roll it. Oh, my and gosh. women took up wearing these rolls to indicate support for RAF pilots. Oh, my goodness, goodness. And I, I just think that's divine. That. I love it. I think that is divine. I can't. <laughs> Could you your, do a roll in my head? I oh think we'll have to do that. Absolutely. Actually, we talked about the bandana. What do we call those that you're going to yeah. Head wrap. Yeah. Someone's going to help me to teach me how to do a head wrap in my I'm going to actually make you one for yourself. Oh, so yeah. I've been thinking about it. I've been working out what sort of fabric I'm going to come up with, but I'm going to make a cotton one because they're easier when you're learning than a satin one. Oh, um, yes. So I'm going to, I'm going to make you one so I can show it you and then you've got something to practice with. And oh my gosh. It. Beautiful. And tell me, Simone, do you wear vintage fashion like all the time? Is that your wardrobe? Yeah. Yeah, you don't no, yeah. I don't. I, every now and then I have a my mind snap and I think that a pair of leggings is a good idea. And about three minutes <laughs> in, I go, no, I'm not going to do it. I just don't. I do. I, I have some runners uh, on occasion and I have a pair of Doc Martens, which I love if yeah. I'm in a slightly more sort of rockabilly role, yeah. sort of mood. But no, absolutely. So today you, you can't see the full, but I have a pair of what's called stacked Oxford. So those shoes with a lace up and a little heel, those sensible yes, shoes, yes. I have those yeah. on. I'm wearing a straight skirt. Now, none of this is true vintage with my brooches. Everything else is either modern bought and I'm styling it this way or it's vintage inspired, vintage inspired clothing, but I dress vintage from the, so I don't leave the house without a petticoat on. Even in summer, I often wear vintage inspired underwear. I will often wear uh, stockings rather than pantyhose if I can get them because the pantyhose weren't invented, of course, until the 70s. And, and my house is the same. So I live a vintage life. So obviously I have a computer. I wear an Apple Watch, as you can see, yeah. that's good for work. But I don't have a dishwasher. I have a kettle that sits on my stove. I don't have a TV. And mm. I try as much as I can to live a life that is much more responding to my set of values and um oh my gosh I love that so much I love that so much do you wear trousers at all or is it always skirts and and look I do have a and I'm a sewer and in fact I have a I do have a modern machine but I also have a 1952 singer which is beautiful and which I will regularly use but the older machines um, only go forward and backwards so they're a little less versatile for you yeah yeah but so I do have a couple of patterns for the 40s style like a wider leg pant and some lengths to make some of those pants out of literally it's just a timing issue so more of a dress wearer just because I love them I think they're pretty and yeah I like like pretty (laughs) so where do you get your because I was referring to them as undies the other day and you were talking about the foundation garments yeah foundation wear foundation wear so are you able to purchase those you can. There are some, there are some labels that, in fact, there's a label out of the UK that has managed to find original 
stocking making machines. So they make their stockings with a Cuban heel and yes. a stain from the original machines and they are beautiful. The problem for me, of course, they're not very tall. So mm. I, 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 there's a particular brand in Scotland that I buy my stockings from and just have to plan it because they take six weeks to get here. But yeah, I, so undies and bras or undies, you know, sort of um, knickers as I would call them. There are some, you know, sometimes you can find a similar style in best and least. You don't, you know, bras, the bra from the forties are a much different shape for our breasts. So they're much more separated, so to speak. And they're long lines. So the bra actually goes to the waist. So the, it doesn't stop under your breasts. It actually goes right the way. And do you down. wear them? Do you wear them? Yeah, yeah they're great. They're really they're a bit more pointy, aren't they? Like I, I remember. No, those, that's more 50s. So, okay. um, they, yeah, they're not pointy more so than just sort of separating. Whereas separating. modern bras press our breasts sort of together and up, which is also a good look. <laughs> but I quite like the, the 40s look. So the, I had, I've got a little bit of a back injury from, it's a stress related thing that mm-hmm. I just have managed to do something to my back. So a, a corset or a long line bra holds me in a particular way that makes me sit up straight. Contemporary ones have plastic or steel boning that, that move. So they're not yeah. like the old ones. And of course, having lycra or sort of elastine in the fabric means that it shapes on your body differently than the ones my mom or my nan would have worn. But yeah, I love them. They're great. They're really wow. comfy. I yeah. love, I'm, I'm sitting up straight now. I know. But, um, to that. <laughs> doing the yeah because that's one thing that I don't do so that is that's super interesting tell me about your brooches because we were chatting about brooches the other day and the brooch diplomacy tell me about that because that was fascinating love it so I originally got into brooches my my mum's mum my nana always had a brooch and had a lot of costume yeah. jewelry and when I was interested in fashion she would often give me pieces so the first couple of brooches I owned were from Nana and had belonged in fact to her mother. So they are from the probably 1910s, 1920s. So I adore them and I still wear them. So brooch diplomacy is this piece that people do. And as I was saying to you, mm. uh, Her Majesty the late Queen did it. Madeleine Albright, who was also late now, uh, who was the Secretary of State under Clinton. Julie Bishop, the ex-minister does it. So what you do is you choose a brooch to wear that day in honour of the person you might be seeing or in a sort of political sense. So as I think I said to you was Her Majesty wore a brooch that the Obamas had given her when the Trumps came to visit her. And I think that was her just being quirky and sweet. And now, of course, she wasn't allowed to have an expressed political opinion, but I think she was being very clear about her view on Trumps and their view on their, and their reign in America. So I will choose in the mornings, I will, think about what I'm doing that day and I would choose a brooch to to just sort of speak to the person I'm meeting or so today because we were talking about vintage this is a true vintage piece so this is from the 40s it's a little small diamante piece and I did go originally was going to go for a bigger piece but just the way when I sat it on I thought no I this is a smaller sort of more elegant piece but I have around 600 brooches now and I know (laughs) <laughs> it's somewhat of a fetish, can I just say? It's terrible. It's like an addiction. They're um, small though, so you can 600 brooches versus 600 pairs of shoes. Yeah, there's much more more relevance for yeah, yeah. space. Yeah, so I buy sort of almost like a fishing tackle box from Bunnings and yeah, I have yeah, them yeah. all. Yeah. And they're sorted by colour and I have two versions that I call quirky and vintage. So quirky are the modern acrylics or modern political ones and then there's the vintage, which are the true vintage. So I just decide. 
but you know when I travel I'll I sell all my outfits out and then a brooch will be chosen for each outfit when I'm traveling so very easy to travel with obviously so yes the, the brooches are easy to travel with I loved when you shared that with me the other day when we were chatting the thing that stood out for me was around the intention about who you're catching up with the intention for the day and the brooch being in honour of your intentions and who you're catching up with. Now, I'm not, I, I do have some brooches. I'm not a brooch wearer, but I really love that concept. When I get ready of the morning, I'm a mood dresser. I'm, I have mm. quite an eclectic style and I'm definitely a mood dresser. This is outfit number three today because <laughs> the first one I put on, it was just like, yeah, that doesn't really quite feel how I want to be. The second one was just like, no. Nah. The third one it was like, oh, yeah, this feels good. So I'm just wearing a white top with puffy sleeves that have got little flowers and it's a little bit off the shoulder. But what I did today is I've got a, a red necklace and red lipstick. I don't usually wear red or certainly haven't for the last many years, but I was thinking that my intention to you because you do wear red lipstick and we talked about the the meaning of red as well and some of that power was that I've put red on in in honor of you of meeting you Aww. so that was yeah. yeah so I really liked I I took that that little tip away after we were talking the other day and sort of thinking not just about my intention of how I want to feel in my clothes but how can I also bring that forward in honouring the people that I'm catching up with as well. So thank you for that. Tell me, tell me about red lipstick. What's some of the historical bit around red lipstick? Because this is cool as well. This is cool. So, and look, there is some conjecture about, you know, this, but it certainly was uh, discussed in the war. So, again, propaganda, as we know, is, you know, through all sorts of ways. There was a push for women in the Allies, so Australia, Canada, New Zealand, England, etc., to wear red lipstick because the view was was that Hitler hated makeup on women. And yeah. certainly if you look at the propaganda from the German side and the Italians at that time, makeup was considered tarty. And so yeah. all of the women, if you look at any of the German magazines at that time, were fresh-faced and no makeup. And so it was seen that the women who wore makeup were necessarily, you know, sex workers or were tarty, easy women. And so there was this push for if if Hitler doesn't like it, well, then let's do it. And this thing of <laughs> you don't get to tell us how to dress. And certainly when Trump, when Mr. Trump became president, the women's movement in America actually released a red lipstick because their view was, well, let's just recreate it. So, cause you know, there's some similarities there. <laughs> and in fact, the red lipstick then went to the profits went to um, health promotion and e- health equity for women who couldn't afford it. So I was buying red lipstick at that time from America, but I wear the color I wear is actually was developed during the war. <gasps> and, and so, yeah, it's, it's been consistent. What is that. it? Tell us what the color is. Cause that was what I was going to ask you about finding so interestingly there's a couple of very good lipsticks but this particular one is a maybelline so it's i remember the number but it's called victory and it stays on all day it's even you can even kiss someone in it and it tends to stay on it's a liquid liquid one this one and i i just put a i color in my lips with a lip liner and then 
over the top. But again, my makeup is in reference to yeah. um more. So I don't wear eyeshadow, I only wear a black eyeliner, mm-hmm. I wear foundation and in fact I buy a cream foundation that is made with a World War Two recipe that comes out of the States. And so I do the whole sort of on the bones of my cheeks, which was a, a World yeah, War Two yeah. sort of model rather than now when women wear it much more in the sort of on the sides of their faces. So for me, I make my face up to look vintage as well. What's Actually, I'm going to go back to the lipstick. I'm looking at myself online. Mine looks a little bit more orange than it is in real life the the colors kind of there but I do find it I've got a couple of mixes I don't wear red much anymore I tend to wear pinks that Mm -hmm. sort of I I resonate more with pink I had really dark hair and I used to do that black red like shocking stuff I don't tend to do it although I don't mind I don't mind it but I'm much more of a a pink but victory color sounds like a Next time I see because yours is a deeper red. Yours is deeper. deeper red. Red. Yeah, that's cool. And you've got red nails on as well. Yeah. I, I, and so I always have red nails too. For the I same do. Yeah. yeah. And I wear them as – now, these are done. I have them. They're my nails. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I wear that rounded shape because, again, it's true vintage. So just a lot of references back to that time, which, which yeah. I have to – and just go back a little bit for what we're talking about. There is that sense that we're honouring the person, but for me it's that real – purposeful space so yes, I try to yes, be really yes. purposeful yes. and so for me there's not this oh, I'll just buy it and if I don't like it I'll throw it out it's think it through yes be really purposeful be really aware of my space who I'm around yeah. honor yeah. them and it's just and I think that shows love and compassion and yeah. I think that's it's important for us to give it because in giving it it reflects back You're to receiving, you but yeah. also mm-hmm. you don't know what's happening for someone yeah. and so by being purposeful and aware of those surroundings it just is a is a level of I don't know there's a niceness to it that I think but it also takes away a complication that otherwise yeah. might happen yeah one of the things I do I'm very mindful of where I'm going and what I'm like I'm a mood dresser absolutely but within that mood I'm thinking about where am I going where am I showing up and what how do I want to feel but what message do I also want to create an environment that I want to create? So when I'm coaching people, I'd, and I'm not a corporate, even in my corporate world, I'm not a corporate dresser I'm because not. it's about being open. It's about being relaxed. It's about setting an environment where people are comfortable and it's that sort of friendly, approachable stuff. So I'm very conscious. Of, but if I'm in a space where I need to be a little bit more serious, um, a little bit more, I was going to say kick-ass, but maybe that's not the right word. I will dress to help embrace where I'm wanting to go, but then I have my moods around what that will be. My husband says to me, like, why don't you get your clothes out the night before and work out? Like, he said, you just take so much time in the morning. It's like, well, I'm not quite sure how I'm going to feel. I like bed and I think about who I'm seeing. I, ch- yes. I think about which brooch I might wear, yeah. although 600, I can never remember them all. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then I work out the outfit, the mood I'm in and the outfit yeah. that will go with that. Yeah. 
But I, and I think I said to you when we met last week was I'm developing a etiquette school and that is around etiquette, but also style because a lot of women I speak to, women and girls don't know. I was talking to a girlfriend during the week and she's going to a cocktail party and she said, I don't know what to wear. I don't know how to, you know, she said, you know, when you're at a cocktail party, you've got a glass of champagne, you've got a handbag, you've been at the conference, you've got food and people are trying to talk to you. And I think we're, we're not taught some of those yeah. niceties. And I'm not in any way suggesting that we go back to old fashioned values because believe me, I have very modern values, but there's when you are comfortable doing that, then you're more likely to listen to the conversation. Yes. You have you're more likely yeah. to connect. Yeah. And yeah. when you have a level of style and ease, people will remember that, not the fact that you turned up to a formal event in a pair of jeans because that instantly people will make a judgment. We know that we yes. do that yeah. and we know yeah. that our brains do that. So, and funnily enough, this friend, there's a group of these women going, so I'm going to do just a little session and show them physically how to hold the canapé, hold the champagne, yeah. hold your handbag and still shake hands and still have a conversation. Things like if you're at a networking event and the person is sort of taking your time and it's a difficult conversation, how to elegantly how leave do? the conversation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Those sorts, But also just how to dress. I'm running a session, hopefully in October, we're just working out dates, of how to pack for, for travel. So this one will be holiday travel, but so many women I speak to say we schlep these heavy bags and then we get to the place and we only wear two outfits and yeah. we've got a bag full. Yeah. And it's like, all right, well, let me show you how to choose, but also to how to have a dress that if suddenly someone says, oh, there's this event on and you think I'm in another country, I don't know how to, I haven't, I don't want to go shopping or I've got half an hour to get ready, but I still have something that I know I can wear. So some of those pieces that then you can then be really comfortable and know what to do. Yeah. So I'll be doing some little sessions on that. So. Oh my gosh. And while we're talking about that too, Simone's um, going to be the guest at Happiness Hangouts in October. The oh, first well. Wednesday, I've got a, whatever date that is. I can't off the top of my head, 4th no, of October no. or something. And, and talking about some of those styling tips, some of the etiquette yeah. tips as well. What else is happening in October? What was the, the thing? Is that the frock? Wear a frock for the a day? October. So, October. Yeah, so, yeah. October. So. Frocktober has been a initiative to raise money for ovarian cancer. And uh, I've had a couple of girlfriends affected and, in fact, a lovely friend who was a great mentor passed away because of it. So what you do is you wear a, a different dress every day for 31 days for October and it just raises money. And it's common and any reason to wear a frock for, for a vintage girl is de- definitely a good reason. So I'm busily making, styling, working out what I can wear. You can't see because I've got the zoom on on um, blur, but yeah. behind me on my um, mannequin, I found a 1960s day dress in an op shop the other day. I've bought it. I'm going to reshape it. So I've got a series of op shopped vintage dresses that I'll, that I'll reshape for my body type. Um, like I said, cause I'm so much taller off and yeah. I'll, I'll pull them apart and start again. Yeah. And then I'll make some dresses. But during that month, I'm actually on a cruise for nine days cause I'm doing a writing course. I'm traveling. I've got, I'm going to a, a friend and his husband have got some events. So I'm going to Sydney for that. And there'll be me and a whole lot of good looking gay boys, which is, you know, great. Right. <laughs> gay boys and champagne. I'm there. And so, you know, all these different things. So what I'm doing is planning that those dresses so that I can then really talk about, you know, the providence of the dress, why I'm doing it, the style. And then at the end of that month, we'll launch my full sort of offering for my, for my fashion and style practice. So really looking forward to it. It'd be great. 
Oh my gosh. I want to dip back into, so you are a fashion designer now, like you have your, your business. Yeah. Yeah. My, my victory vintage. I want to just roll back a little bit before we kind of get to talk about that a little bit more. You didn't follow the fashion designer path, did you? You started your career as a secretary and then you sort of worked your way up to a CEO and then changes happened earlier this year that you reconnected. What was like just a real quick snapshot of that, just how how CEO world finished (laughs) and you're back into... So so just quickly, so Mm. I, mum and dad said, if you go to arts college, you can't live at home. So I really want to go to arts college. At the time, I had finished school at 17 because I'd started at four. So HSE, I was 17, and you had to be 18 to go to arts college then. So I thought, right, I'll go and learn to type. I'll just work, and then I'll be able to afford to, you know, go back to college. A whole number of reasons, and all on me. Not At that point, mum and dad had, you know, it was my choice, not mum and dad's. But I then never went back. And I worked in in the sort of human services space around homelessness, mental health, et cetera, for my whole life. In 26 years from CEO, from secretary, I managed to CEO, which was a whole lot of hard work, but yeah, I, I value yeah, it. Yeah. At the beginning of the year, I was the CEO last year in a private hospital in country Queensland and a conversation was had with myself and the board. And it was basically, we're giving you the choice to resign or we'll fire you. Now, it was made very clear I'd done nothing wrong, but there was a group of doctors who didn't like my style. I would argue that's because I forced them to follow the rules. Um, (laughs) um, You know, that's on them. I can't comment. But it suddenly everything I had built and my persona and my value of myself was all about being a CEO in a community where I was contributing. And suddenly I was sitting there and I was it was actually a public holiday when this happened. I was sitting in my house by myself in my nightdress going, oh, my heavens, what just happened? Because I've never in my life been fired yeah, or forced yeah. to resign. So this was a – I did resign, but, you know, I, I wasn't given a choice. Yes, yes. So yes. I called my sister. I have a younger sister, and I called her and said, this has just happened, and I just needed to tell someone. And she said, look, the cottage at – on the they've got a, a little property, and we built a cottage for our mum before she got sick. And it's empty. Just come. Just bring the cats and come. So I spent a month packing up the house and sorting myself out and moved from country Queensland back to New South Wales. So I think to answer your question, I I, th- I guess I just assumed I would just pick up another CEO role. And But every time I thought about it, I'd, I'd get all panicked and my heart would hurt and my chest would hurt and I'd think, oh, my gosh, I can't do it. And And there was a real sense of feeling like I wasn't good enough because this had happened. And then it kept coming back and people kept saying to me, you know, what about fashion? Why don't you do fashion? And for me, fashion had always been about fashion design only rather than all the world that is fashion. So fashion history, fashion academia, styling, all of those things. And so I made the decision after a couple of very difficult conversations with recruiters that just made me, you know, the lose the will to live that I thought bugger this I'm just going to do it so I have I've just created the business I also I have a writing and editing business on the side because I write and edit academic edit for academics so that has a bit of a money flow happening and then I've just started this little practice and it's starting to get a little bit of traction and you know, I, I, today I've had someone say, look, there's this thing we want to do and would you be interested in helping us? So we're starting to get that. 
And from here, because of family reasons, I think I'll stay here for a couple of years. But I think from here, it'll probably be a, U, a, a UK move and possibly a PhD. I, that's that's the space I'd like to move into. So, Gosh, because you are writing your book, aren't you? I'm writing a book, yeah. What's the book? The Tell us about the book because that sounds really interesting. As so uh, one of the things, because I wear vintage, and, and you ask me this as well, people yeah. say, oh, when you style women, do you mean you style them vintage? Yeah. And it's, no, it's not yeah. true. So. What I, what I try and do is work with people to say, well, you know, what is your thing? You know, for you, for example, as we talked about, it's those really strong colours, pink and those really gorgeous, strong, quirky colours. So if that's someone's thing, well, then how do we, how do we ethically source the stuff that she needs and then build a, a wardrobe around that? And my view is you don't need to spend, you know, $5,000 on a suit when in fact I found a piece for a girlfriend that still had the tags on, was over $300, and I paid $4 for it in an op shop and still still got the tags on. So it's totally possible. Yeah, so that's the sort of sort of space I'm, I'm, I'm sort of moving myself towards. And, you know, not if somebody wants me to show them how to be vintage, I would do that in a heartbeat, no trouble at all. But it's not everyone wants to do that. It's everyone – people want to find their style. Yeah. And what that looks like is up to them. We'll just work out how to pull it out of their bodies because often – Women have been told, oh, if you work in a corporate, you have to wear a suit. If you work here, you have to do it. No, you don't. Yeah, no, you don't. You don't. You you absolutely don't. And I think the thing that there is about finding your style, where do you feel good? And also, what are the things that are important to you? I was, I think I shared, I don't know if I shared this with you. I was a stylist for a little bit. And when I was starting my coaching business, I was really like, do I go down the, the styling path? and build that side of the business or do I do the the coaching and I um, do the coaching but clothes and how they help us to feel good mm. are really important as well. And it's about also how, you know, I work with people about living their best lives and showing up in in how you want to show up is a really important part of that as well. Absolutely. And look, I styled someone recently. I was at a thing with my nephew and I met this woman and she said, Oh, I've got a, I've got this big event on in two weeks. I don't have anything to wear. It's an evening. Now I have a, I have a big personal collection of clothing that is not for me, but it's clothing I've collected. And I said, Oh, she was very tall. And I said, Oh, I've probably got a couple of pieces I can help you with. And she said, Oh, how much? And I said, Look, I, you know, your, her son played with my nephew in a basketball team. And I said, Look, I'm happy to just help. Anyway, I took her address and then as I was leaving, I thought, you know, there's this other dress that I'm going to take and just encourage her to try on. And the dress I had originally talked to her about is a navy blue dress. It's to the ground, fitted, blue sequins. It is divine. I mean, in fact, I'm going to wear it to a wedding in a, in a couple of months. Mm. But there was this other dress that I had found in an op shop and I would never wear it because it's not my colour and it's not my style. But I found it and I thought, no, I'm, I'm going to liberate that dress. I'm taking it with me. So it's in my collection. And it's from the waist down, it's what's called a, a starburst pleat. So a, a pleat that sort of comes out at the bottom. They're an old fashioned sort yeah, of pleat. Yeah, yeah. And it's like a, a bony, brownie coloured satin. It's just gorgeous. But this client is a very sporty, tanned, blonde hair. And she said to me, I said, just try it on. And I know, and she said, oh, and I said, just try it, see how you feel. Well, she came downstairs and she just looked extraordinary. And she was like, oh, my, and it's to the ground. And she said, oh, my heavens. Interestingly, she'd broken her toe and she said, I've got to put heels on because I can't go to a thing without heels. And I said, just do me a favour. And Mm -hmm. I said, because she was shopping for shoes. And I said, there's this style in at the moment that like a runner, but they've got a platform. And I said, try a pair on. Find some with glittery bits. Yeah. 
Try pair on. And I said, and then when you're chatting to someone at the cocktail party who's whinging about her feet, show yours, which because the shoes will be covered by the dress, and tell her how fabulous they are. And she said, really? And I said, it'll be a good way to connect with other women. Anyway, she – and the other thing is she said, I don't wear jewellery. And I said, look, just let me try this. So that I have a lovely big brooch. And I said, just put the brooch on your waist, on the waistband of the dress, because it will just give you a bit of bling. Well, she did it. She looked a million dollars. And yeah. what was interesting was she said, I would never have done any of those things. And I just felt totally myself. I was physically comfortable because I didn't have to worry about my foot. And she was able to, to have this, this go to this event and just have a great time as herself, not yeah. as someone who feels like she's dressing up in her mum's clothing. And look, it was such fun. I had such a great time. And that's what I try and do with people is go, well, what, how do you want to be? How yeah. do you want to show up? And yeah. let's work out what that looks like. So many women just go, I just don't know where to start. And yeah. so I love what. that. And it's about who, who are you? And some women aren't clear about that either when it's about, you know, who, who are you and how do you want to show up? Even starting there can help them to sort of think, well, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but encouraging them to, to try something new, but still within their realms of comfort. And like you were saying, that etiquette piece that if you're going somewhere and you're feeling really uncomfortable in something that just isn't you, then that comes through when you're meeting people. Oh, and so if you, if you're comfortable, relaxed and feeling a million dollars, then you, you kind of show up like that as well, which is. You know what? I can make people feel a million dollars yeah. for not a million dollars. You know, yeah, that's right. Million dollars on it. Yes. Yes. And, um, Maybe in wrapping up, what, what would be, and we've talked about some tips around just some things to, to feel good, but are there any styling tips just off the top of your head that would help women feel good? Like, have you got any? Yeah. Absolutely. Any, which, so a couple of things. I think the first one is fantastic foundation wear. So just make sure your bra fits properly, your knickers fit properly, they cover the bits you want to cover. It is really clear when someone's got the wrong underwear on and it's just, and you feel uncomfortable and it's pinching you because you don't want to pinch in. And there are lots of really pretty, lovely pieces of underwear that you can buy at Target, at yeah. um, Best and Less, et cetera. You don't have to, doesn't, you don't have to go to Victoria's Secret or whoever those other very expensive places are. And also, mind you, they're also not made nicely and not made well. Yeah. So first thing would be foundation wear. Just make sure you've got some lovely pieces and just have enough that you always feel that you can just reach into your drawer and they're there. Consider op shops. And I know people say, oh, op shops are expensive now. The money that I've been on the board of op shops, the, the money that goes straight back into the community does some fantastic stuff. So always consider an op shop first. I'm going to be, like I said, I'm going to be running some courses to show people how to choose op shops and then how to mend your clothing if there's some problems, what yeah. to look for in seams, yeah. what to look for fabrics, etc. And the other piece is I really encourage women to have a thing that's theirs, whether it's be a statement necklace, whether it be I'm the girl that wears cardigans all the time, I'm the world, you know, yeah. for me, everyone knows that I dress vintage. If I if I turned up in jeans, I think people would be having some sort of intervention. It's just, yeah. you know, no one would be into that. <laughs> so it's, you know, find that thing. And to do that, think about the thing where your mind goes when you see someone you admire. What is it you admire about her? Because we all look at other women. Women dress for other Men think we dress for them. We don't. We dress for other women. And I think so go to if you're looking at a movie star or someone that you think, oh, my heavens, she's just gorgeous, or a, a girlfriend or, or someone you see in the street, what is it that you go to on that and start experimenting with that yourself? So if it's a really gorgeous statement necklace like the one you have mm-hmm. on, 
just try it. You can find them in op shops. You don't have to spend a lot of money. Mm. And they, they would be my three big tips. And just take some little notes. There's notes functions on your phone. Just write some notes down and have those and just be a bit brave. The world's mm. not going to end because you wear a big necklace or a brooch or try red lipstick for the first day. You probably feel like a million bucks. And yeah. people will say, you look amazing. What have you done? Do you know, I find that too. Like I, my thing, I'm not sure exactly what my thing is, but it's statement pieces yeah, that, that, that are in you know, bright, bold colours, bold, bold colours, but it's not any bold colour. Like I'm not about shocking for the sake of shocking. It's about, I don't, if I wear a fine, sometimes I do wear a fine piece of jewellery. I just feel a little bit lost in that. And even when I was getting dressed this morning, I kind of think about what do I want to wear and then what are my accessories that will go with that? Sometimes I'll build the outfit around the accessory piece. Mm-hmm. But so I'll, I'll try it on and then I think, like you did with your brooch this morning, going, oh, actually, that doesn't quite sit. And, and I look holistically. So I, even when I try some, if I buy new glasses, I say, have you got a mirror? And they'll show me some dinky little bloody mirror that just shows my eyes. And I said, no, no, can I look at a full body mirror? And they're like, why are you just buying glasses? And it's like, well, I want the whole impression of what they're, they're, they're like. And I'm like that with an outfit as well. So when I'm getting dressed, I need to look at the whole picture. And I also with my accessories. So I've got the, the statement red necklace. I've got the red lipstick and I've got a red bangle. And bracelet and in my top there, you can't quite see it here, but there's little red dots. So I try and work in, like you said, odd numbers that if I've got the feature colour in kind of three. Yeah, or, I you yeah. never have more than three colours. Yeah. Always go yeah. with three tone. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I think that it comes back to that real purposeful thing. Yeah. You know, what is it you're trying to do that day? Yeah. Just be really purposeful. Yeah. Um, and the other, in the purposefulness as well, if it feels wrong, take it off. Exactly. Yes. It's a little bit like dating. If it feels wrong, yeah. it is. Just, yeah. stop. <laughs> just, just get rid of them. Stop. Get rid of them. And I think it's also like we're, we're just giving some tips around, you know, things to think about. My, my, I guess my golden tip is you do you and I'll oh, do okay. Like yeah. do what feels good for you. I'll do what feels good for me. And even some of when I was studying to be a stylist, there were some very strict rules about, Color combinations and all this. And I'm just going, number one, back to what we said earlier, don't tell me what to do. Like mm-hmm. if I do this, if I think I'm going to wear this, then feel good in it. I tell you, I've got blue and green on today. Mm-hmm. And you know, back in the day, it was blue and green to never be seen. I often wear purple and brown together. No one would know. Yeah, 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 yeah. The yeah. other thing is people don't mix patterns. So I will mm-hmm. mix a plaid with a stripe yeah. or yes. I will do a floral with a, with a stripe. Yes. And yeah. so mix patterns and just look at yourself. And you know what? No one's going to, the world is not going to end if you get it wrong today. <laughs> no. I, have, I have fashion faux pas. I look at photos and I think, oh my heavens, what was I thinking? But it's, it's okay. Just own it. Just own it. Yeah, own yeah. it and go, well, that's all right. Yeah. Simone, where can people find you? Where can they find you on socials? Socials on Instagram. My fashion label is called My Victory Vintage. So my dot victory dot vintage. I post a lot there about fashion, fashion history and my brand itself. And when I have products, they will be there as well. Yeah. Uh, I'm also getting my website on its feet. Madly 
wrangling technology, which is not a strength. And that's just simonefinch.com.au. Mm. So not hard to find. And, and we'll have all the details in the show notes as well right. so people can um, yeah. follow along there. And Really happy to talk to people about things. Yes, yes. And for those of you that are in Canberra, October, the first Wednesday of the month in October, someone's going to be the guest at Happiness Hangouts, which is super, super cool. Can't wait to um hear all about that as well. Some of the styling tips, etiquette and expanding our conversation that we've had here today. What I might do at our little event is uh, yeah. talk about the history of zippers. Because there's oh, yeah, yes. fascinating zipper yeah. conversations about women and liberation and self-care around zippers. So I will, uh, I'll do a little, little quirky. Yeah, um, cool. Yeah. On the history of zippers. Actually, we were talking a little bit about that before. So back versus side zippers. Super, super interesting. So Simone, thank you so much. I loved talking with you and there's so much more we could have dived into as well, but people can jump in, follow you online. They can connect with you as Absolutely. well and ask questions. Um, Simone is very, very generous with her time and I would encourage you to, if you, if you can have a, a chat with her. And if anybody wants to sign up to the happiness hive newsletter, I have weekly tips about just living your best life and loving life and being absolutely fabulous. So that's at www.happiness-hive.com and you can sign up for that goodness there. So hugs and happiness. Thanks very much, Simone. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. You can spread the love by sharing it with a friend so she can have a little bit of what we had today. And don't forget to rate and review so we can get it into as many hearts and ears as possible. You can keep the conversation going on my Happiness Hive socials. And if you'd like some more high vibe happiness in your life, come and join me in our community of inspired and motivated women at the Happiness Lounge. This is my online membership club and your central hub for everything you will need to be truly happy and bounce out of bed every day living and loving your best and most beautiful life. To find out more, pop over to the Happiness Hive website and click on the link working with Catherine. Until next time, big hugs and happiness.